Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. A pleasure to always have us with you on the GM Shuffle here. we got lots of great stuff coming up here. Listen, Mike is knee-deep in preparation because next week is, of course, the draft. And we've got lots of episodes coming up next week, Monday and Wednesday and then Friday, recapping the first round. But, Mike, as I'm going through some old movies here, I had to rewatch A Simple Plan again, and I tweeted about it, and I talked about it on Cinefile. My brother said, don't forget, Lombardi mentioned it in his book to quote from Gridiron Genius, have you seen A Simple Plan? It's a movie that's all about how bias can compound an original mistake. Their simple plan begins to unravel almost immediately. Everyone loses and all because they doubled down instead of cutting their losses. The same thing happens in football front offices. A draft day crash won't necessarily destroy a team, but sticking to a plan because of that disaster always will. Well done. Yeah, I, I mean, I love that movie. I thought there's it resonated, especially when you look at some of the things that are going on in the NFL. I think there's lessons to learn in all of it. And you know, you know, the the Bears hanging on to Trubisky, the you know, I mean, really, the simple plan. The Rams could it, it's going to be a documentary at some point. And you know, that when you break down what the Rams have done over the last twelve months since they they scored three points in the Super Bowl, uh, I mean, this has really been a, a, an unbelievable run. And it's a simple plan. The plan was to get to the Super Bowl, but now it's all unraveled. I mean, think about this, AD. Fifty percent of their roster from the eighteen season will no longer be on their team this year. 50% of the playtime won't be on the team this year. And, you know, they traded Cooks away. And really, Cooks, the trade of Cooks, had they done anything, anything other than trade for Cooks, or even if they traded for Cooks, say they didn't sign him to an extension, or say they just let him play it out or go to the franchise, any move they made with Cooks would have been the better move than what they ended up with. Yeah. And it's reality. And... And the amazing thing is because people love Kevin Demoff and Les Snead, that no one's given them shit about it. Like no one's like, this is the ultimate mismanagement of a team that you could ever possibly have. But no one's saying it. Everybody's picking on poor Bill O'Brien. You know, God knows he gets his ass killed, right? You know, he's the dumbest human being of all time. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Rams are sitting there with one good player, you know, that not even a, you know, he's an average player in Jared Cook and a roster that's one. If I were to say to you, riddle me this, Batman, who was the last first round pick of the Rams? What would your answer be? Oh, my God. I wouldn't even know. I would, I would have thought it was Jared Goff. Who is it? That's what it is. It's Jared Goff. 2000, it's Jeff Fisher actually has made more first-round picks than Sean McVay. Wow. I mean, that's absurdity. Because you're right. Everyone keeps crushing Bill O'Brien. Like, oh, my God. Okay, how do you think that Hopkins, you had him, you got rid of him. Okay, now Cooks. But you're right. The Rams, when you look at it, this is the expression that I love, Mike, because it really does emphasize how bad it is. Dead money. Right? You got so much money, you got this captures and dead money. The Rams are like leading the league in dead money. Like, what are you doing? Wouldn't you think the Rams would go out immediately and hire somebody who would be a contrarian to their ideas? Like, we need to hire somebody who's going to sit in an office next us and say, when we have this idea to trade for Brandon Cooks, let's have an idea. Like, like if just say they don't trade for Brandon Cooks, say they stay in the first round that, you know, 
that that draft, I think Ridley or DJ Moore would have been available to him. Right. Yeah. So they could have had somebody. Right. <laughs> you know, put DJ Moore on their team with a five-year contract without having. You know, but something's going. I mean, there's something in the water there that 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 is. And I think that the simple plan that you talked about on Cenophile and the lessons you can learn from that are remarkable. I got one for you. I was flipping the channels the other night, Millie and I. What are we going to watch? What are we going to watch? Right. And as good as it gets is on demand, and I clicked it. <laughs> yes. Now. If there's ever a movie that people should watch during the coronavirus and understand, now look, I think Melvin Udall's a, there's parts of Melvin Udall that are despicable. His racist behavior is despicable. But his, his take on washing his hands, throwing the bar of soap away, not stepping on cracks, <laughs> obsessive compulsive, that only Jack Nicholson could play to a T. You know, the line of the movie is, how do you write women so well? I think of a man and I take away reason and accountability. <laughs> I mean, you know, like that movie, that movie is the essence of what we're going through right here now. I mean, he's lived that life. I, I wonder how somebody you're right with OCD is living right now. Cause you're right. You're constantly washing your hands. It's a crazy, and you're right. That scene in particular, I mean, it's this young, beautiful blonde. He's just leaving his agent's office and he gives her that lot. The other great one, too, is him and Helen Hunt. You know, he's sitting at the table and she says, you better give me a compliment. And he says, you make me want to be a better man. And she says, that might be the nicest thing I've ever heard. He said, well, maybe I overshot a little, but I was aiming it just enough to keep you from walking out. <laughs> he's so good. You know what I didn't realize after after I, I watched that? I went back and I researched, you know, that movie made $314 million. Wow. $314 million. Wait, think about that. That's a romantic comedy geared toward adults. There's no superheroes. There's no young people in the movie. It's a, just a solid, smart, funny kind movie and they both win Oscars Nicholson and Helen Hunt 314 million that's crazy and Verdell the dog should have won an Oscar I mean let's be real honest I mean I, I was looking at Bella and I was looking at Bella I'm like Bella like seriously you're underachieving here I mean Verdell's kicking your ass like seriously he's Verdell's not stepping on cracks right you know Verdell's Verdell understands who to be loyal to I mean like seriously Bella you got to take your game up another notch Greg Kinnear by the way fantastic as well Academy Award nominee for best supporting actor who just gets abused by Melvin Udall all right let's get to uh, the football now last week Mike you broke the news it blew up everywhere that uh, teams had failed to attack a violence physical and you said it wasn't just his hip injury that was worrying teams a host of other injuries including a broken wrist and so listen everyone's talking about it now of course Tua and his aging and now we're totally fine we're good to go what actually happened what's the latest you can tell us about the injury I mean, the person who told me the it was the it was the fifth metatarsal. So he broke that. That's what he broke the first day of spring ball. Then he had that fixed, and then he rebroke that again. So look, the the you can't deny the injuries you, as we talked about last week. You can't, and I and I've talked to more and more teams, you know, and this whole notion that you know Lombardi is just spreading this bad will about Tua because he wants his friend Bill Belichick to get him. Like, stop, okay? I don't think, and and not, I should say I don't think, I know that based on the Patriots grading system, a six-foot quarterback would have to be really, really elite over a long period of time for them to draft him. What fans don't understand is there's always these, there's grading systems within every team. 
Some of them are elaborate. Some of them aren't. You can tell the teams that do a lot of work on them. We spent a lot of time on on a grading system. The Giants started the system. Actually, the system started with the Dallas Cowboys with Gil Brandt. Bucko Kilroy, the former executive of the of the New England Patriots, he took it. Dick Steinberg, all these guys, they kind of modified it. Belichick and I, as you read the foreword that he wrote in my book, we spent a lot of time in 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 Oakland, I mean, excuse me, in Cleveland on it, talking about how we could modify it. We wanted to be a size speed team. We wanted to be able to have a limit on how high you could grade players based on the limitations that they had. We wanted a system that was conducive to elimination, not finding. And so when when people throw that out there, that Tua at six feet tall is an easy target for the Patriots, stop because knowing their system, it's hard to get that grade high enough for him to get up there. And part of this always happens when a guy gets injury prone, they say, what's the issue? Well, you know, it's like his greatest strength is his greatest weakness. You know, he's so competitive, he always thinks he can hang on to the play and ultimately should just throw the ball away. And that's exactly what Nick Saban, his coach at Alabama, said during an appearance on SportsCenter on ESPN on Monday. He said that, I think, too, is a great competitor. I think one of the things we've tried to talk to him about is most of his injuries that have occurred here are because he extends plays. He does not give up on a play, and it's because he's a great competitor. You certainly don't want to inhibit that spirit in any way, shape, or form, but there's also a time to be smart. Both ankle injuries and the hip injury that he got this year were all because he tried to make a play when the play had broken down. There wasn't anything there. And to throw the ball away sometimes is okay. That seems like one of those lessons, Mike, you have to learn the hard way. And veteran quarterbacks know it better than young quarterbacks, don't they? Yeah, they do. And I, and I think the word that Nick used there is is really revealing. I think when you break down Nick's verbiage and you look at the, the syntax of what he was saying, uh, and he used the word you know, extending the play. That word is what's the, that word there is the sole reason why John Gruden do, is really down on on uh, Derek Carr. He doesn't extend the play. He doesn't make a good play out of a bad play. That if it's drawn up perfectly, then they can do something with it. If it's not drawn up perfectly, then they have all sorts of problems. And I think when you break that down, I think that's the essence of why. And I think the Raiders, you know, really are a sneaky team in terms of of potential for a landing spot for Tua. Because when you break the Raiders down last year, you know, seven and nine, they're 24th in the league in scoring points. You know, their defense was atrocious, but yet they were able to do, you know, some things offensively, but they couldn't really, they couldn't really capitalize on it. I mean, they were 26th in the National Football League when their quarterback threw for 300 yards. Like that, that's what's that saying to you is he can throw when he's behind, but can he throw to get the lead? That's really not very good. And I, and I think when you look at what they were able to do, goal to goal scoring, they're 25th in the national football league. You know, they just don't have the ability to make these extended plays, which Nick's talking about with Tua. And I think there has to be. And they would be stupid if they weren't interested in trying to get Tua, especially where they are at 12. Everybody has them taking a a wide receiver, and they may. But if you're at 12 and and Tua slips to eight, let's say, the, say he gets to eight and the and the uh, the Panthers don't take him, which I don't think they will. Say Tua's at eight and you're at 12. You, you can get to eight. You can get to eight. Arizona could, could be the beneficiaries of it. I mean, you can get to eight easily. It's not that much. It maybe cost you, you know, a second round pick, a third. It depends on how, actually how much how much volatility there are. I think Peter King reported today that Jacksonville's not interested in a quarterback, and 
that's contrary to what I've heard before because I hear Jacksonville is sleeping on all the quarterbacks. I think Jacksonville wants it out there that they're not going to take a quarterback when, in fact, their owner is really, really kind of upset of the fact that, hey, we've passed on some really good players, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, you know, whomever, Lamar Jackson, to go down the list, right? We don't – all these quarterbacks I'm watching from my yacht in the Mediterranean play – and we don't have any of them. So I, I think that that's the Tua thing. I think Tua – do I think Tua slips out of the top 10? Maybe. Do I think Tua goes somewhere between 6 and 12? Yes. That's interesting because you look at some of those mock drafts and they say number five Dolphins. I feel like that's the team that a lot of people think could do it. There's been some talk maybe the Chargers could trade up to three with that Lions pick and take Tua. So that that's notable, Mike, that you think six to 12 could be more likely than, let's say, two to five. Yeah, I, I think when you really break down the Chargers and you study them and go back and start watching some of their tape, you know, defensively, they were they were really bad last year. I mean, they were bad on third down. They, they were bad – they were bad on defending the pass. They really struggled. They couldn't run the football at all, you know. And then the strength of their team, which is Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa, you know, they were 28th in the league in sacks. They were 28th in the National Football League in three and out drives by their defense. You know, they couldn't get any pressure on the quarterback. They couldn't get off the field. And I think that certainly they've tried to repair their offensive line, whether it's signing Brian Balaga, Trey Turner, who they traded for. We'll see how well he does. But when you look at them, red zone, third down, all the critical areas of a football team, I mean, they were not very good. They're 29th on third down. They're 22nd in the red zone on defense. So their defense, I mean, I could easily see the the, the Chargers being a team that says, you know what, we're going to take the best defensive player we can get because our defense really is struggling. And they seem to be content with Tyrod Taylor. Now, look, I, I, I'm with you on Tyrod Taylor. I, I wouldn't go down this direction. But, man, they sure do love Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I don't think that's the right play. But wouldn't you think if you were if you were running the if you were just a simple plan here if you were running the Chargers, wouldn't it be prudent to sign Cam Newton and draft Isaiah Simmons? Wouldn't that make your team better than taking Justin Herbert or an injured Tua? I mean, just think common sense wise. Yeah, and I, listen, I like Simmons a lot. I'm glad you mentioned him because he's a guy can do a lot of different things, right? I think he had 200 more snaps at linebacker. He played corner, he played safe. Like he was all over the place. You're right. He's one of those do it all defensive guys who's great. And I think you're right. He projects to be a solid, excellent NFL player, whereas those other guys are risk. But then it goes exactly what you've talked about before, which is that quarterbacks are so sexy for these teams. And yet the litany of teams that have missed on guys over the last decade is crazy. It really is. I mean, you know, and it, and it just keeps going on and on. And I think that, you know, at some point, you know, when we were in Cleveland, we we did this uh, – we, we did this analytical draft study, and naturally they wanted to study every quarterback that's ever played quarterback before, right? Which made no sense to me whatsoever, because why are we studying guys that are basically, you know, going to become lawyers or doctors or whatever, have another profession? Like, they just weren't skilled enough to play. Like, you could put skill down. But if you really put your teeth into those 28 and tried to figure out why those 28 didn't succeed— what was the true reason? You would come up with some conclusions to figure out the next time you search a quarterback is one of those 20 is one of those reasons those 28 failed there. You know, now for some, you know, when I looked at it for some, I thought it was pretty obvious why they were going to fail. 
but I, you know, I didn't think Blake Bortles was a starting quarterback. You know, I, JP Lowe's, I mean, some of the guys accuracy, you know, they just didn't meet that, but teams convinced themselves of that. It's a little bit like what's going on. I think with this Jalen hurt conversation, I, I, I know uh, I read today that Mel Kuyper says that there's teams talking about him going in the first round. Seriously? You're talking about Jalen Hurts in the first round? That's the first – you could just put him into that 28 category, guys that don't – I mean, that's a lock of not being able to make it. Yeah, it's interesting with Jalen Hurts. I mean, listen, played at Oklahoma, previously played for Alabama. Like, I get it. People look at the pedigree, and all of a sudden that becomes a spot. But, yeah, even I heard a rumor that the Packers could be a spot there because he could be a good fit in Matt LaFleur's offense. You're right. Hurts is – there's getting a little bit of love there for this guy. Yeah, I, and I don't know where it's coming from. I think could it be coming from – I mean, I know that, look, Lincoln Riley's offense is good, obviously, but if you study Lincoln Riley's offense, it's not a pro offense. It's very highly run. You know, it's got a lot of easier reads to it. I think that, you know, you're really, it's, it's, does it translate to the passing game? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's some elements of it that are really good. And, 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 and Lincoln's an outstanding football coach. I'm not disputing this. You know, and I wish he had more complimentary offense to his defense so he could help his defense. But the point is, you know, he's really good. But when you look at Hertz and just look at his career, you know, I mean, are you really saying, you know, look, I know the numbers get gaudy, 80 touchdown passes in his career, 20 interceptions, you know, 32 last year, you know, averages over nine yards. But when you look at him at Alabama, when he started, you know, those 15 games in 16, you know, tw- you know, it wasn't like, oh, wow. And then 17, you know, remember, he gets he ha- they want to throw the football. So he's got to come out of the game in 17. And then in 18, he doesn't really play enough. And then he transfers. So, like, I don't know where this is all coming from. Like, there was, th- th- there's a narrative out there on Hertz that's way different, way different than the narrative uh, that, that what he's played to. And I think that's what happens. The narrative can be the ultimate killer in draft. Yeah. Many draft analysts right now have Hertz as a late day two pick. Dane Brugler of the Athletic had him a third to fourth round. That could make him a Packers guy because they got a third round pick at number 94 overall coming near the end of the round. Speaking of some sleeper players, Mike, Cesar Ruiz at a Michigan, Ezra Cleveland at a Boise. And I like this guy. I think he's going to go in the first round. Clavon Chason, who's an edge rusher at LSU. What's the case for these guys going in the first round? You know, I think there's a lot of conversation about these top guys all the time, the Chase Youngs, the the Akutas and all that. I, I actually, I hear a lot of teams like C.J. Henderson uh, uh, even more than Akuta. You know, I could see, I could see, you know, uh, Henderson going really. I could see Henderson going to the Raiders at twelve if they just, if they have to stay there because he's that kind of skilled. But I, I think what you're going to see in this draft is there's these offensive tackles like Cleveland and uh, uh, from Boise state or Josh Jones from Houston. I mean, there's, there's, there's about, I want to say eight offensive tackles and they're all going to be gone by 35. So like a team like the New York football giants, if they don't take a tackle where they are and they think they're going to get one at the top of the second, they're going to take what's ever left. You know, they're going to have to take what's ever left. And I don't know how their board set up. But, like, just for example, if you're the Patriots, I mean, and you know David Andrews is, you know, the blood thinner. I mean, Cesar Ruiz is the only legitimate guy that teams see as a, as a day one starter going in the league. I think he and and Cushenberry from LSU have the ability, you know, and I think there's a gap between Ruiz and, and Cushenberry. So you, that those two, so if you don't get an inside guy, where are you getting them from? 
You know, and I think those are the names that are going to be at the bottom of the draft because they're offensive linemen and they're hard to get. Everybody wants to fill you up on receivers. Well, hell, there's a ton of receivers. I mean, there's got, I mean, you might take Byron Evans from South Carolina, who I absolutely love. I think this guy's got a chance. I know he was hurt last year. He's got, uh, you know, he he had no quarterback to play with at South Carolina. I mean, he's. I was at South Carolina. I mean, he's. They talk about him in reverence, right? They talk about him as like, you know, uh, Samuel. De- no, that. Edwards is the guy they talked about. I mean, Debo Samuel, no, compared to Edwards, nobody's talking about that, right? So in terms of, I know one went to Clemson, one went to South Carolina, but the reality of it is, is is I think, you know, this guy, you could get a receiver somewhere down there. You can get a, a, a Gabriel Davis or you can get someone else, but to get a to get an offensive lineman, man, that's a hard thing to get. You're right. Everyone looks at the wide receivers and the quarterbacks, the sexy positions, so to speak, with the guys in the trenches, always so critical. All right, after the break, Mike and I discussed some offseason moves, including Christian McCaffrey getting paid. My God, gigantic numbers there, plus a possible O.J. Howard trade by the Bucks. All that more coming up on the GM Shuffle. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right. Well, obviously right now we hope everybody's staying home, staying safe. We worry about unemployment, worry about people getting paid. Well, you know what? Christian McCaffrey just got paid. Four-year extension averaging $16 million per year, making him the highest paid running back in NFL history. It had been Ezekiel Elliott at $15 million to the Cowboys. Le'Veon Bell, and by the way, now ranks third at 14.1. So according to ESPN's Jeremy Fowler, including the two years left, McCaffrey's rookie deal and the option, $75 million over six years. Mike, I can't think of the last team that like won a Super Bowl built around the quarterback. Maybe Terrell Davis, 1998, the Broncos, when Elway was late in his career. I know McCaffrey's amazing, and I get the fact that you know, they want to lock him up long term, but uh, it just doesn't make enough sense to me to pay a running back this kind of money. Yeah, no, this is a hard one for me, too. I was on Carolina Radio, Charlotte Radio, on Monday, and I said I wouldn't do it. You know, I think to me— I think he's a great player, you know, you know, he's had, you know, but they overused him last year, 287 carries, 116 receptions. I mean, the year before he had 219 carries and 107 receptions. I mean, they're wearing him down, but you know, to me, and here's what I think really is, is the, the push to me, why I probably would have just let him play out his deal 
is because when he's in two backs, when there are two backs in the backfield and there's not three receivers on the field, he averages about 3-5 a carry. It's not easy for him. When he's in shotgun, he averages 3-9 a carry. Okay, when he really becomes a better player is when he's at when the spread formation and Joe Brady's going to have to move him around, use him as a receiver, make him a weapon, make him a quasi weapon. I think to me, if I'm Matt Rule, I'm saying, okay, look, we signed this guy. You know, we probably, you know, the other thing, AD, I think your points well taken. I'm not sure you could get the kind of value you want for him based on this conversation. All right, we want a first and a third for Christian McCaffrey. Okay, great. All right. Now you got to pay him 15, 16 million a year. Who wants to, now that the Rams are out of draft pick, what other team would want to do that? Yeah, I just think you're giving up way too much. Like you said, you got to give up a couple of big time picks, plus pay the guy a ton of money. He's eating up cap space, and you're right. He's a great player, but is he making other players around him better? Is he going to lead me to a championship? I'm dubious on those. I really am. I mean, look, you can't even tell me who the running back was for the Miami Dolphins, and they won five games last year, and so did the Panthers. And the Panthers, basically, they they used them so much they almost were forced to pay them. But, I mean, at this point where the Panthers are in their rebuilding process, I think when you look at the contract, it's probably, you know, when I looked at the numbers, it looks to me like it's about 12 a year. If you, if you count the first, he's got two years left to go. It's about 12. Plus, the last two years aren't guaranteed. So it's not a killer deal for them. But the reality here is I think it's going to behoove them to use him in a certain way. Like for me, I would take McCaffrey. I I would use him as a receiver early in the game. You know, I'd have another back on the field to kind of pound it to be able to do. Utilize his skill set and space. And then in the fourth quarter when everybody's tired and everybody's tired of chasing people around and the game's on the line, get him in the backfield. Get him back there and let him make some plays. Let him make his magic. I think it's how you use him is really going to determine whether the contract, if it's a receiver-type deal, which I think this kid can play almost like a receiver position, then if it's 12 a year with the last two years not guaranteed, it's not that bad of a deal. I think you got to – that's what I always complain about Zeke. Like, Zeke's a good – Zeke's a great runner. Zeke's unique. But if they use Zeke more in the passing game like another receiver, then all of a sudden paying him what they paid him, you don't feel that way. I mean, look, Sammy Watkins made $16 million last year. Yeah, that's crazy. I, listen, obviously some big plays in the AFC Championship game. I get it, but you're right. You're going to get value. Here's where I think it gets interesting. Everyone always looks at these deals and go, okay, who's next? And a guy that you love, and Alvin Kamara of the Saints, heading into the final year of his rookie contract, he's getting $2.133 million. So that's a bargain going into his final de- year of his deal. Of course, he's going to want an extension. And Dalvin Cook, he can be a free agent after the 2020 season. He's making just over $1.3 million in the final year of his rookie deal. If you're the Vikings or the Saints, do you sign either of these guys big deals now or wait for the season to play out? You know, I think this. I, I think that, you know, when you're the Vikings and you just redid Cousins' deal, you know, you now you got to do Cook's deal. See, the Carolina doesn't have a quarterback that they're paying overpaying for. They don't have a record quarterback deal. You know, and so that gives them a little bit of flexibility. I mean, the the Cowboys haven't done Dak yet, and they did Zeke before Dak's deal was up, which allowed them to get some some flexibility. But to me, it, it, you know, I mean, when you look at when you look at the Saints, and when Breeze walks away, I think Breeze's money is going to go more towards towards Kamara, and then they'll get Taysom Hill. 
to a deal, see if he can do it. You know, because you're not going to pay Taysom Hill $20 million a year. Nobody knows he can play quarterback other than Sean Payton. So I think there's a manageable way to get that done in New Orleans. The team that I'm worried about is Minnesota because how do they do it? Like, they're already in cap jail. There are, you know, they had to trade one of their best receivers just to kind of give them some flexibility and give them some room and see where they go. And I mean, this draft, I don't think there's a more important draft for any team in the National Football League than the Minnesota Vikings draft this year. I mean, they've got to really come through and and really hit on some players. I mean, when you look at at, at where they are offensively and you look at, I mean, when you look at their first round picks since Rick Spielman's been there, Trey Waynes, Laquan Treadwell, Mike Hughes, and Garrett Bradbury, I mean, they've got a hit on a want. They've got two ones. And they really have to hit. Their twos have been actually better than their their ones. Irv Smith, Brian O'Neill, Delvin Cook, Mackenzie Alexander, Eric Hendricks. They, they got to hit on some of those guys in the first round. I think this is a critical draft. So before they sign Cooks to an extension, I mean, they got to make sure they get a lot of good young players around them. And as long as they have the, the, the albatross around their neck and cousins, it makes it hard to do the Cooks deal. It's well said. Meantime, as far as moves that could be made, the Buccaneers tied in O.J. Howard. His future's been questioned with the NFL trade deadline. Of course, uh, there were some rumors. Patriots reportedly reached out to the Bucs to ask about a potential deal. The Bucs selected him, Mike, 19th overall pick, the 2017 draft, despite catching 11 touchdown passes, first two pro seasons, not made much of an impact in Tampa Bay's passing attack in 2019. Would Tampa Bay consider a trade with the Patriots? Make me smarter on this one. Well, I, I think, look, I, I think the problem is when you look at the uh, – the, I was told this this week. Uh, I was doing my VEASAN show over the weekend, and we talked about O.J. Howard's odds. What, what are his odds to uh, go over his receiving total? And I said, oh, hell, go over the total because Brady will throw the ball to him a ton. You know, Brady's, Brady loves throwing the ball inside to the receivers. I mean, you know, Howard, to me, seems like he's destined to have a tremendous season. I mean, last year, you know, he had 34 catches, you know, averaged 13 and a half yards. He only had one touchdown. So then I get a phone call uh, a day a day later from somebody in the league said, "Look, they're I don't think Howard's going to be on the team. They're trying to trade him. You know, they wanted a second round pick for him at the trading deadline. No one would give him. I think Howard's got a great name, but I think there's an instinctive issue that's going on, and I think he's going to be available. It would not surprise me if he was traded on draft day or the day before." Well, that's interesting because a guy like O.J. Howard, when you look at the Brady and all the weapons that Tampa Bay has right now, you think, okay, aren't they going to stockpile? But ultimately, 13 catches for 176 yards, zero touchdowns, 18 targets this season. I mean, that's not that's not going to get it done. All right, listen, coming up next, this has become the best segment here on the GM Shuffle. It's not going anywhere. It's how Homeland gets shittier, according to Michael Lombardi. Plus, we discuss the untimely passing of former NFL quarterback Tavares Jackson. Do not go anywhere. All right, some sad news to pass along here in the NFL. Former NFL quarterback Tavares Jackson dying in a car crash in Alabama on Sunday night, just 36 years of age. He was killed when the 2012 Chevrolet Camaro he was driving left the roadway, struck a tree, and overturned. This is a guy who joined Tennessee State University as the Tigers quarterback's coach in 2019. And this was after coaching at Alabama State, his alma mater, for a year. During his 10-year career with the NFL, he accumulated 45 career touchdowns. Certainly remember him in the Minnesota Vikings. This is really sad news, Mike. 36 years of age and he's gone. Yeah, it really is. It's horrible. I mean, it's horrible every day to turn on the news and to read about these tra- tragic deaths of the coronavirus 
coronavirus. And, you know, and, and even though the numbers are well below what they told us a week ago, that's tragic. And then to hear the news of Tavares, a young man, you know, worked hard, you know, had a, had, had a good career. There was a time where people thought he could be the starting quarterback in the NFL. Forget all the NFL career. You know, started then as a coach. You know, this is kind of the news that just makes it disheartening. It's very sad. I feel badly for the the, the whole family. No, it is very, very sad indeed. So, uh, unfortunately, like you said, tragic news there. We hope everybody is staying safe right now, dealing with COVID-19 as well as they can. Uh, In terms of pop culture and stuff that we're doing with just to keep ourselves occupied, Homeland as bad as it gets right oh now. You talked about, you talked about as good as it gets. This is as bad as it gets, right? First of all, I want to say this. I got a call from somebody this week who told me a great story about his dad getting a double clap from Sinatra. Like to me, I might never wash my, that would have been the ultimate. I mean, I finally found somebody who it's like, it, this is like ancestry. You're, you're, you're digging back into time, you know, but I finally found somebody who got a double clap from Sinatra. That that's the most amazing thing of all, but Homeland, I mean, Jesus Christ, how bad can it get? You talk about the Rams, like Homeland is the version of the Rams. Okay. So she gets shot in the neck by a needle, right? She wakes up, she walks out to the square. She finds an old friend who has a truck. She jumps in the truck with him. She starts writing down shit that she remembers from the camera quarter. She makes him drive him all the way to some Air Force base in this, in this hostile country. She gets out of the truck. Okay, no big deal. On, a, on an Air Force base that's guarded by the Americans, which we pay billions, billions to guard. She walks right in, meets one of the helicopter operators, starts talking to him, you know, then all no, no big deal. Walks back out, hops back in the truck. The truck could have been li- filled with explosive, right? No big deal. It sits there the whole time. We'll keep going. Then he walks back out, comes back in, jits back in the car, goes back trying to track down. Meanwhile, she gets, she sees the Russian capture, tries to negotiate with him. Like, who is writing this shit? Like, who is writing this shit? Like, at some point, and then, then they insult our intelligence by having these meetings with the president that look like nobody knows what they're doing. No pun intended. Nobody knows what they're doing, right? And, and I mean, it's insulting. Like at some point, when somebody was in the writing room, didn't somebody say, "This is just really like ridiculous." Like I could only imagine George Tenet, the former CIA director. Good book, by the way. He wrote, you know, watching Homeland and saying that's the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my life. Like seriously, like who's who's writing this? Like how can they do this? How many more episodes are there until we can put ourselves out of this misery? There's only two, and she has to die. I mean, if they don't kill her, if they don't kill her, I mean, enough already. Like they got to kill her. Like put her to sleep. <laughs> like you know, like she she was once a good character, you know, but we got to put her to sleep. Like at some point, it's the end. Like this can't go on. And I mean, I like Mandy Patankin as an actor. Actor, I mean, love his walk. I mean, he's always in a hurry. I don't know where he's going, but he's always in a hurry. You know. But the reality of it is, is it's just so bizarre. It's so weird and bizarre. You know. And then last week that they have a checkpoint where they let this guy drive the explosives right into the checkpoint. Like, you think that's going to happen? I mean, like it's like. That's why we pay billions to secure our borders and to make sure that shit like that doesn't. I mean, it's just it's it's going so far out there like like and I just look at Millie and like it's like it's so bad and I watch it. I mean, I, I guess the moral of the story is they, they've captivated me and that bad can captivate you as much as good. Well, it's a hate watch at this point. You're doing it as research here for the GM Shuffle just to let everybody know just how bad the show is. And by the way, I do love Mandy Patinkin. I mean, that beard he has is Saul is unbelievable. Every time I'd see him like on talk shows, he'd be completely shaved like whenever a homeland was done for the season. He couldn't wait to shave and then grow that monstrous beard again. Like, it, But that relationship, like him and Carrie, like, it, it, 
used to make sense. And now it's just ridiculous. Oh, they're all, and you know, they swore this oath to, to follow that. There's an oath of allegiance that you have and, and no, no rules apply to any of them. Like they just go off. They're all rogue. Like it, they're all rogue. You know, it's like at some point it's just so bad, but I got to, uh, you know, you know, it's just, I, I don't know. I mean, I started watching bank heist on Netflix and I really like that. And I'm looking forward to the Michael Jordan documentary on Sunday on ESPN. I hated, hated horse. Did you watch any of the horse? Hated it. No, I said, why would I care? Like, why am I watching a bunch of NBA guys playing a horse? Tell me how bad it was. I had zero interest. It was really bad. Like, I, I, it was bad. Te- it was bad video. It was it was bad. I mean, we got to find. I mean, I'd rather watch Bobby Fischer play chess with somebody. Like uh, to me, that's how boring it was. I mean, not that I don't think chess chess is a great game to study. It's kind of hard to watch because there's so many so much time between moves. But that's what it felt like. I mean, it was horrible. You know. I mean, I could just go back and watch. You know, the Tony and and, and some scene in the Sopranos beacon while well you know you know Uncle Junior I, I I saw a scene this week remember when remember when uh Tony and Adriana got in that car accident and then the telephone then then the telephone lines light up where you know uh they all like they they're claiming that Adriana was 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 doing something to Tony in the car and that's yeah Junior says I I heard she had her mouth on his brajol <laughs> I mean I heard that line today and then and then I think and then somebody else said the largest cause of traffic accidents in America is I mean like there's such comedy within within that that's I mean like. At some point, somebody should Homeland should just like watch a couple episodes of that show. Yeah, I mean, the, the, even the episode title "Irregular Around the Margins," I believe, was that title. I mean, that was a crazy episode because it just shows you right how gossip one little thread becomes. It was like your line. Remember, you said one time, "If one person knows it, eleven people know yeah. it." That was the perfect encapsulation of that idea. No doubt, uh, no doubt, and 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 you know, look, it's just it the gossip can spread, and I think that's what we're dealing with today. That's how Jalen Hurts is going to be now in the first round. We're just we're just everybody's just talking. You know, everybody's just, it makes no sense at all. There's no documentation to why Hertz would be a starting quarterback in the NFL. You know, I mean, there's really not. Uh, yet, but yet hey, we're going to keep going down that road. One last thought, because you, we talked about last week, what would the Sopranos be doing during a COVID-19 epidemic? And we had said, you know, Tony would be sitting in his basement, you know, eating ice cream, watching black and white war movies. You know, Paulie would be terrified to leave the house. I was thinking about Silvio on the bottom being like, he'd be so ruthless in terms of getting salary. He'd, I just picture this. He'd have all the strippers working, but wearing masks. Yeah. And there would still be like some degenerate still going to the Bing. <laughs> you know, he would pay off the, the, the you know, the, he'd pay off the the police force to make sure he could stay open because it, it's he would justify it as being essential <laughs> to the workplace to be open. I mean, you know, he would have somebody on the payroll. I mean, could you imagine him in there? First of all, could you imagine how long it would take to clean that place? Oh, I mean, just go in there and and sanitize that place out there. The and the, you know the where the back room is, the pictures on the wall. I mean, whoever designed that room was like perfect. Like that's an A plus. No question about it. And last I hear on Frank Sinatra, the main event, which I did watch Amazon Prime, but you haven't seen it. If you're a Sinatra fan, you got to see it. I, I we, Mike and I spoke during the week, but you mentioned the double clap. I just like when Frank got out there, he literally just says, she gets hungry. And the whole crowd goes nuts because they know he's going to sing. This lady is a tramp. And literally the crowd, they got Robert Red from the crowd, all wearing tuxedos. Like I, it was amazing just to see the ambiance of that place. It really was. I mean, I would recommend people watch that or the Jerry Weintraub documentary on HBO about how he put that thing together. It's really remarkable and they're timeless. I mean, they truly are timeless. And, you know, some of these things that you can watch are now that we have some free time to watch them are just, just, just flat out incredible. And, you know, look, Sinatra, 
the generations, I mean, we say, well, you know, Lombardi, you're old, you watch Sinatra. I, th- I think there's going to be generations as we move forward that are going to continue to watch that. I, I think that there- there's certain things in life that are timeless, and I just happen to think he happens to be one of them. I love it. We are going to keep on breaking on the NFL draft like nobody else, all right? Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, three new episodes next week. Monday and Wednesday, of course, previewing, and Friday recapping the first round. It'll be exciting. Of course, Mike will continue to dive into his writing on The Athletic and his show on VEASAN. We got you covered. And please do follow us on Instagram, at The GM Shuffle. Wash your hands. We'll talk to you Monday.